Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. In this episode, you'll hear from the winner of the 9th Irish Times Innovation Awards held this week in the RDS. I'll also be talking property with Fiona Redden of the Irish Times. She joined me in studio to discuss Kennedy Wilson's newest residential development in Dublin, which will set a new benchmark for rental prices in the capital. But first, I'm joined by Peter Hamilton of the Irish Times for a roundup of the main business stories of the week. Peter, you're very welcome. Thank you very uh, much. We're going to start with tech stocks and tech crashes. Hmm. So tech stocks have been leading Wall Street lower over the past couple mm. of days. Sharp losses, uh, wiping out gains for the Nasdaq and the S&P 500. Uh, and all because of concerns over sales of Apple's iPhone and the reverberations that that would cause, like the signs that chip makers could be drawn into this US-China trade war. So it's not particularly good news for tech stocks this week. Things are looking up ever so slightly today. Europe is slightly stronger on the day and futures contracts are pointing to a firmer opening on Wall Street. Uh, We'll have to see how that pans out throughout the day. But it's been a poor week that has eradicated a lot of this year's gains, which is worrying for US indices and some commentators suggesting that the stock market tends to act as a, an early warning sign when there's when there are issues in the economy so of course, Facebook, Facebook's had a dreadful watch. year hasn't it I mean uh, you, the, the five sort of fang stocks Facebook Amazon Alphabet which is the parent of Google Apple and Netflix they've shed more than 800 billion mm in market value I mean it's an eye-watering number It's very significant it is very significant and as you mentioned there trust in Facebook must be at its lowest point in a long time after after um, revelations in the past couple of weeks and and indeed over the past couple of months Facebook has had, had a tough year uh, it's mm. not quite as bad in some of the other ones like, like Google and, and, and Netflix And it's had a knock-on effect in Ireland because a number of IPOs have been deferred uh, and we saw during the week that uh, Howard Miller the Ryanair non-executive director uh, he's deferred the uh, IPO of his aircraft leasing company, Sirius. Uh, he's put it back until uh, December, uh, so a signal that uh, he obviously just couldn't get it away this month. Mm. Yeah, so so look, it, it, all is all mm. is certainly not well with investors at the moment, uh, and whether it's just whether it's limited to tech, I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, sure. Now, investors in Nissan and Renault have had a bad week as well because they're uh, the main man there, the chief executive uh, Carlos Gozen, uh, one of the uh, major figures in the. 
automotive industry uh, is under arrest. Yeah, I suppose the thing about Carlos Ghosn, when we look back over his career, mm. it's worth noting he has transformed these two these two companies, I suppose, up to now. And that's kind of been lost this week. Anyway, he, he, you're right, he was arrested. He was suspected, uh, he is suspected rather, of underreporting his income by millions of dollars. And also, it is suggested that Nissan paid for uh, residences for Mr. Ghosn across four four cities. So there, there are issues there. But... This week, interestingly, the chief executive of Nissan said that the recovery of the company is due to the hard work of many and not the individual. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier, that Carlos Ghosn really did drive the success of these two, of Nissan and Renault. Uh, It should be said, just for the benefit of uh, listeners, Nissan and Renault have this alliance, this global alliance that's been in place now for some time. In which they both own shares in each other. And what has emerged after uh, Carlos Ghosn's arrest is that before his arrest, he had been planning on a merger between the two. Mm. Uh, so that Mits- Mitsubishi is sort of under that umbrella as and, well. And yeah. the three of them, there's about 470,000 staff. And Carlos Ghosn is the chairman and chief executive of Renault and just the chairman of Nissan. But had, had a, mm. a, a, was a very significant figure in the car industry uh, known as Lacoste Killer. Yeah, and uh, embarrassing for the French government because they're a major shareholder in Renault. Indeed, yeah, I- indeed. And, and, and it poses a, a very big threat to the alliance, to, to the Nissan-Renault alliance. All right, let's talk about the labour market. Uh, a report this week from the ESRI uh, commenting on the housing shortage and our need to uh, import more uh, or hire more foreign workers. And we also had some figures uh, from the CSO just telling us that employment levels are at a record high. What the ESRI was, was suggesting about workers, this is the classic catch-22 situation whereby we need people to build houses, but, but where will they live? Uh, so the ESRI said that... So recruiting those people from overseas indeed. will only exacerbate our own indeed. housing crisis at the minute, in the yeah, short term at least. But... but but the ESRI was keen to point out that we very much need this influx of foreign workers to to rebuild our housing stock. As you'll be aware, there's something like twelve thousand houses have been built so far this year, up to the in the first nine months of the year. Rather, we need about we're going to reach about eighteen. Davy said nineteen. I think was the ESRI's figure. That's uh, probably only about half the level we need to build. Yeah, we, exactly. So we need between uh, up to about thirty five thousand. So there there are issues there uh, and the SRI acknowledged that they warned that this influx of workers will add to rental pressures and housing demand in the short term uh, now and then as, as you mentioned the jobless figures from the central statistics office CSO they said that there was a 14% jump in the number of people working in construction last year so it is positive to some degree but not where we need it to be and we're back at, I mean, we're above the sort of pre-crash levels of total employment, which is quite staggering when you think about it. It was only in, I think, March 2011 that unemployment was at 15% and now it's at about five and a half. Exactly, yeah. So our, we've reached a ref- record high of 2.27 million people employed in the Irish economy. And while it's risen sharply, the CSO were, were quick to caution that we we now have a bigger population and a larger workforce Uh and that employment and participation levels are still below pre-crash level, le- levels and, and participation in that regard, one has to think, is, is women in the workforce. And, and so there, there are still, there's still a lot of work to be done there to attract those people into the work, workforce. Sure. And even though employment numbers are record high, we know there are shortages in many areas of the economy, including construction, but also the tech sector crying out for new talent and so forth. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. All right, Peter, uh, thank you for joining us.
We're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be talking to the winner of this year's Irish Times Innovation Awards. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, on Tuesday night, the ninth Irish Times Innovation Awards were held in the RDS. This is an annual event that recognises innovative thinking among early stage Irish business startups. The winner was a Dublin tech company called Aidtech and you'll hear from its co-founder, Niall Dennehy, in a few moments. But first, I spoke to Michael McAleer of the Irish Times who explained to me the concept behind the awards. Well, the project itself started back in 2007, 2008, and the awards were added to the the, pro- the innovation project, which is there to recognise good ideas in Ireland and abroad that could be applied on the economic front, on the business front, and across the spectrum. The awards then were there to recognise what was happening, and maybe the timing wasn't great because we were in the heart of the recession back in 2010, but also it was a great time because what we were seeing was that companies were seeing the problems and trying to find solutions for them and that was we were at an existential crisis in Ireland in some, to some degree and what we're now seeing is that as we come out of the recovery we have encountered other problems and those problems are being addressed by many of the entrants here on a global scale I don't know if you've mentioned it yet but the, or if you want to talk about it but Aid Tech, the overall winner deals with refugee crisis and uses blockchain which is the latest technology to deal with that but across the board many of the finalists were dealing with the housing shortage so Quillan housing, co-housing scheme which is up and running in Ballymun that was a fantastic idea in my front and um, then we've also had Park PMP dealing with the traffic congestion Brainwave Bank dealing with the constant problem of Alzheimer's um, so there's a, there's a plethora of entrants this year from that are turning their ideas into uh, into product, shall we say, or into services that are, are trying to find solutions to the problems that we encounter in society today. So how many companies enter and what are you looking for uh, from those companies in terms of picking winners? Well, at the start we had 270 registrations of interest. We wheedled that down because of the annual category and whether they were ready for this at this stage to 87. And then the next phase is we sit down and over our Christmas break, while others are eating turkey, we're reading entries from 87 different innovators. And what we're looking for is original bright ideas that have been applied or at least are in the process of application because innovation everyone's got a different a definition of it but innovation for me is always the you can, loads of us can have ideas over a pint it's the idea of applying that idea successfully it's the key and sometimes even the people who come up with the idea aren't necessarily the people who apply it the best and that's how you award innovation so that's what we're looking for and some of this some of the entrants they have brilliant ideas and they're applying them and that's where we contact them in the coming weeks now to say look at your ideas were brilliant you just weren't Quite, you were scoring quite low on application, and that's where we'd like you to come back again another year and to have another go with this, you know, with the idea and show us how it's applied and how successful it's been. Okay. Now, in terms of next year's awards, because I'm sure you're already turning your focus uh, to next year, if there are companies out there who feel that they, they would like to enter these awards, that they have a really good idea, how do they go about it? Well, the key thing is to, I guess, to... Uh, 
pitch your idea on the Irish Times. We have, we will be soon setting up the entry process for the Innovation Awards 2019. Uh, we have a, a, a standardised entry form, which is trying to pluck out and to get you to identify the key ideas and the kernels of the idea, how you've applied it and what results have you, to date, what success markers you've made. And that's really what it is. So if you were looking at something, it's about focusing your mind on on what your the, the bright innovation is and getting how it applies. And I think even that process is brilliant for companies and others entries have said it to us because by doing it it focuses the mind on the idea and helps you pitch and every day your business if whatever line of uh, whatever sector you're in it's about pitching that idea and that's the road to success indeed for our finalists this year all of the 15 finalists were put through uh, or offered to put through a training and pitching course and they all I spoke to many of them and they all found it invaluable because you can never practice pitching enough because whether you're pitching for loans, a bank loan, or pitching for VC capital in the multi-million sphere, you have to sell your idea and you have to be able to do it succinctly, which is more than I'm, I'm able to do with the idea here. Michael, you mentioned that ATEC were the overall winner. We're going to be talking to them in a few moments. But why did they stand out from the rest? Because you were on the judging panel. I was on the initial judging panel and then the final, I was sitting in with the final judges. And I think they were, they were really impressed by the application uh, and the success rate. What you had here, and they'll tell their own story, was somebody who encountered a problem, who went on to explore just how, how, how significant it was, and then set about using the latest technology to solve it. And that, in, in and of itself, and, and there is an element, I won't deny, there is an element of being impressed by the team. And for the judging panel, they come up and they pitch, and it's as much about the people involved in the idea. If they in, if they enthuse you and make give you some belief, that's that's the that's the final nail that'll get you or the final message that'll get you over the line. Because there's many great ideas here, but it, it's the trust in the people, and you can see. And these our final judging panel were all experienced business people, experienced entrepreneurs, and they're sort of people who put money behind these innovations. They're not just uh, awarding this willy-nilly. These are people who put their own money behind these ideas, and they see a, they have a belief in these companies, and they believed in Atec. All right, Michael, congratulations. Another successful year of the Irish Times Innovation Thanks, Kieran. Okay, that was Michael McAleer of the Irish Times. I also spoke to ATEC co-founder Niall Dennehy, who naturally was in a bullion mood. First of all, congratulations on winning this award. You must be chuffed. We are absolutely over the moon. Delighted to win it. Thank you very much. Great to be on the podcast and a huge thrill. If I speak a little bit quickly, it's because I'm probably carried away with the excitement of the win. But I thank you very much. And of course, it's a double win because you also won your category in terms of IT and fintech. Now, just tell us a little bit about ATEC. When was it set up and what do you do? I can indeed. So ATEC, was a, it's a mission-driven company. We started back in 2015. Initially, the, the company was called ATEC because we were the first company in the world to deliver international aid completely transparently. But really, the big, uh, big focus for ATEC is now it's uh, bringing shining new insights into, uh, into data that was never re- achieved or viewable before. So, for example... We're now sending uh, remittances to Serbia from all over the world. We're digitizing medical entitlements in Serbia. Um, We are using our technology on the ground in places like the Middle East to distribute aid. Uh, But we really were shining a spotlight on data that was never accessible before. And we are building the data transparency engine for the new economy. So just explain, let's say I want to remit some money to relatives in Serbia or somewhere in the Middle East. Um, Where does your company come into it? Yes, what we do is we've we've got a web-based app, so anybody from anywhere around the world, what they can do is they send money, but in fact what they're sending along with the money is a digital asset which is created in the blockchain. 
But what that money enables, what that asset enables you to do is to bring, to get new insights into how the money is being spent. So for example, one thing we're doing with the United Nations Development Program, we're doing it on the ground in Serbia with them, is we're channeling remittances towards things like electricities, like groceries, utility bills. And basically what we're doing is we're letting the, that government, the Serbian government, see where remittances are being spent in the local economy. And it's a huge market, 4.5 billion. We're doing in 20 countries now before the year end, but it's again shining a spotlight on areas where data never existed before. How big is the company? The company is now 10 people full-time. We're primarily based here in Dublin. We've got uh, two staff in London, one in Washington, D.C. Uh, the key thing to point out is that we work with a lot of guys abroad at places like Russia and Poland and uh, Ukraine, but we've got big plans. We're raising a 10 million Series A at the moment. We want to be 40 people uh, by the end of next year. If all goes to plan, that will happen in Dublin. Uh, we were the first company um, ever invested in by both the Singaporean government from a blockchain point of view. So we've got backers in Asia and we've got backers from China. And a lot of our focus is outside of Ireland right now. But we, uh, I think the heart of the company, the people who work here and the key R&D staff, they're based in Dublin. Uh, and that's how we see it for the, uh, the foreseeable future. And where did the germ for this idea come from? It really it came about by mistake. So my co-founder, uh, Joseph, who couldn't be here tonight, he ran a marathon back in 2009 called the Marathon des Sables. He ran 151 miles through the Moroccan desert. He raised a big sum of money. The money went missing. He wasn't able to trace that. So we had an idea. We thought, could we bring traceability to the movement of things like donations, uh, like aid, uh, etc. So only today, for example, in partnership with the Red Cross here in Dublin, we released a brand new groundbreaking app. It's called Trace Donate. And what it means is that you, as a donor, anybody listening to the podcast, can make a donation with our technology. And effectively, what you can do is see who spent your donation, what it was spent on, and for how much, if that person gives consent. So check out tracedonate.com or irishredcross.tracedonate.com. And it's a completely groundbreaking app, has never been done before, brings complete transparency and restores trust in the charity sector. And just to be clear, is this a for-profit business? We are 100% for profit. Um, we are driven by a social mission, but 100% for profit. And we believe that when you combine a social mission with a company who is for profit, it's a really dynamic and it's a unique combination. So how do you make your money? We make money a number of different ways. So we charge governments uh, for using our technology. We charge them for the transparency that we bring. So if you've heard of trans or software as a service, we bring transparency as a service. And what we do with that, for example, is if you think about the technology that we have, which is called blockchain technology, to make all that happen and to bring trust and transparency, you need blockchain nodes to make that happen. We charge per node. Digital identity would be the cornerstone of the solution. That can be a mobile app, that could be a uh, plastic card with a QR code, and we take a fee per user per month. And in the case of the application that I spoke about a few moments ago, Trace Donate, we take a transaction fee from donors on top of the, the, uh, the, the initial donation. To, that's how we make money. So how big could this business become? So if it go, we, we believe it can be huge. Um, we believe we're doing something that hasn't really been done before. We took a lot of inspiration from uh, Silicon Valley and we thought, look, if you want to create a big market, try and become a monopoly. That might be a dangerous word right now, but we've got a big ambition. Uh, you might have heard of FinTech, which is the category that we want tonight. You've heard of CleanTech, you've heard of HealthTech, you've heard of RegTech. We invented AidTech initially to bring transparency to aid. We were the first company to do it. But we did realize that the market is a lot bigger. That's why we've gone after digitizing welfare payments. We're working with some big international banks and we're bringing transparency to the flow of welfare payments and remittances um, and any form of digital entitlement.
And finally, Niall, how might winning the Irish Times Innovation Award, how might that help your business? Yeah, well, look, we're, we've just released that app that I spoke about today called Trace Donate. We're actively fundraising at the moment. Um, we've got a lot of backers already um, from places in Southeast Asia, in the US. So this won't do our chances any harm of securing the funding that we need to grow sooner rather than later. Um, but again, to be, um, I guess, to achieve the recognition from people in our, our own home country, uh, we're all avid readers of the Irish Times, uh, big fans of the podcast, as I, I think I said to you guys before I came on the show, genuinely am. And um, again, as a startup, you've got to be scrappy, you've got to hustle, you've got to be out there every day, you've got to be, you know, seeking out opportunity. And anything, especially from a, a hugely impressive outlet like the Irish Times, can't do anything but help that. So again, very grateful for the award and delighted to be on the podcast. And if I'm being a bit cheeky, I'd love to come back again at another stage and uh, do it again. Well, no, I would love to have you back. And congratulations again on winning the 2018 Irish Times Overall Innovation Award. Well done. Thank you so much. To property now. And last week, Los Angeles real estate investment group Kennedy Wilson announced the completion of its 22-storey Capital Dock building in Dublin's South Docklands. It's a mix of high-end residential office and retail space. And as Fiona Redden of the Irish Times discovered, it will set a new benchmark for rents in Dublin when residents begin moving in next January. Fiona, you're very welcome to the studio. Tell us about these uh, very high sky high rents. Yeah, that's it, Kieran. It's a new 22-storey building on Dublin's Docklands. Um, it's sky-high, the building, and as you said, sky-high rents to 3300 for a two-bed, starting at 3300 So this is for what they would consider a standard unit in their development? In their development, and it doesn't include parking. You'll have to pay extra for that. And how much is the parking, do we know? We don't know yet. Okay, yet and, and nobody has moved into this building. They only just... They've just started marketing it. You can move in from January. Okay, they had Pascal Donoghue, I think, out there last week uh, to do a bit of a walk around. Uh, NAMA, interestingly, the state agency which took all of those toxic property loans off the banks uh, some years ago, NAMA's a, a part owner of this development. Yeah, well, well, this is NAMA today, isn't it? It's helping to fund projects like this. Um, 15% stake in this investment. Kennedy Wilson hold the remaining 85%. Okay, so 3300 per month for a standard two-bed unit in this development. And by standard, now in fairness, it's a new development. I'm sure it's going to be... It's going to be quite swish, to be fair. I mean, you're going to have a, con- a concierge to take in all your Amazon deliveries. You're going to have a private dining room. For you, can, you can have your little soirees. fancy soirees, dinner parties with a chef's kitchen a cinema, a games room. There's a you gym. can hold business meetings there, have a gym. Okay, and obviously it's very close to the Docklands, which is, you know, developing all the time. It's got the Grand Canal Theatre and it's got various restaurants and, and I mean, cafes. I guess it also has offices. It's got JP Morgan and Indeed moving into the same building as well. Okay, and they're going to be announcing some retailers uh, and I think some restaurants and bars restaurants, uh, in the near future. Yeah, because remember, it's right down at the end of the dock, so, you know, development, there's not that much, as much down there as there would be further up. Sure, and there is a bridge being built into Rings End which will open up access uh, on to both sides. To that part of the city. Uh, yeah. For that part of the city. Now, how does this €3,300 per month compare with other developments in Dublin? I mean, it, there are more expensive apartments that should be noted across Dublin. In the Marion Hotel, they have apartments there, Marion Suites, over 8000 for a two-bedroom apartment. But what's different about um, Capital Dock is it's a whole new building, 190 apartments at this level, which is very different to, you know, your fancy mm. individual penthouses, etc. elsewhere. And I guess they can set this rate because just up the road from Capital Dock is the marker. 
you know, part of the Marco Hotel that's owned by Iris Reach, um, the investment fund, and the, their rents are two thousand seven hundred for a two bed. But what's important about them, I guess, is that they're subject to rent controls because they were built before the introduction of rent controls. So they can only increase their rents by 4% a year. But up at Capital Dock, it's a new build, built after December 2016. So rent controls won't apply to it. Won't ever apply? Won't ever apply, as it stands, until it's reviewed again. 2019, I think, is the review date. Right, OK. Now, Kennedy Wilson has a number of properties in Dublin. It's one of these what they call build-to-rent uh, investment companies. So they come in, they build properties or they finish out properties that maybe were half-built uh, and that construction stopped uh, following the crash, etc. They finish them out uh, and then they rent them out. They don't sell them. and They rent them out to families or individuals, etc. And they have a number of uh, very high-end properties, it must be said. They've done a very nice job in Clancy Keedy, former military barracks. They've spent a, a lot of money there. Again, rents uh, quite high uh, by Dublin standards in that development. I mean, as he said, there are advantages of the build-to-rent model because as an individual renting in these properties, you're not trying to text your landlord who never replies to you that you have a leak. They're very professional, very well-organised landlords, but the, you do pay for it on the other side. I mean, there is a question there, isn't there, is to what extent are these build-to-rent landlords driving up rents across the city? Do you have a view on that? Well, I mean, if you look at a proportion of rental properties across the city, they're only a small number. But then if you think about the number of properties coming up for rent, they're a massive number, aren't they? Mm. I mean, today, again, we learned about this other German fund, Patrizia, that bought um, about 350 apartments in Honey Park and Dunleary last year. And it's brought 190 or maybe the full 350 over the course of this year to market. That's a lot of new apartments. What in kind of rents area. are you talking about there? They're, they're 1900 for a two bed, mm. up to about 2700 for a penthouse. And of course, Kennedy Wilson and the others will probably argue that this is what the market is prepared to bear. I'm sure they've done their research on this. Is it the market's prepared to bear or is the market been forced to bear? What's your view? I think it's been forced to bear, isn't it? Because it, it drives up. If, if Kennedy Wilson can achieve 3,300 in the Docklands, what does that say to all the other landlords in the area? Mm. Now, they mightn't have a premium product like Kennedy Wilson, mm. but it but does course, give them scope. Sure, but then the other landlords in the area presumably are subject to the rental controls that you mentioned and under legislation brought in by uh, the current government, they can only increase rents by 4%. That's true, that's true. No, but 4% is still quite a bit. It's still significant, isn't it? But that means A, they have to abide by it and B, there's plenty of exceptions. We did look at DAFT there er, last week or the week before. There's about 900 properties for rent in Dublin. Of those, about 180 are been advertised as being significantly refurbished. Mm. That's a huge proportion. So that's an exemption if you significantly for refurbished property. Yeah. It's not just painting it, it has to be significantly refurbished. Whether they were significantly refurbished or not, of course, who's going to find out? Yeah. And the other get out of jail for landlords is if they if they move back into the apartment themselves or they decide to sell the apartment. And there have been some suggestions that some landlords have been using this as a trick yeah. to get tenants out. And, yeah, well, you do uh, to seem to hear anecdotally more people have been asked to leave because a daughter is coming home, the landlord's daughter wants to move in. Something like that. So you do wonder, but again, the problem is is that the, we've rent controls, but the control element of it isn't very well established. Fiona, how does Dublin compare with other European cities in terms of average rents? Well, we took a look, Kieran, at um, a three-bed. So in Dublin, you're talking about 3,000. And it's actually, it, it's cheaper than elsewhere. I mean, London, for that high-end three-bed apartment, you're talking more than 6,000 euro. Moscow, 
5,000, Zurich, 5,000, mm. Geneva, 4,500, Paris, slightly, only slightly more expensive. And we're in around Amsterdam and Stockholm. Yeah, of course, it's apples and pears, isn't it? Because uh, incomes in a lot of those cities will be, average incomes will be Might much be higher. different as well. And you'll probably find that the standard of apartment that you're getting for that money is, uh, is completely different. Like they might have uh, very good storage areas, for example. And how much you're giving up in tax as well differs across those cities. Yeah, sure. So you're after tax Are we getting on top of this problem, in your opinion, Fiona? Not at all. Not and at is all. it purely a Dublin problem or is there a problem outside No, there's a problem now in all urban areas, it seems. Limerick, Cork, Galway. Rents have just gotten crazy. And again, I mean, you have to think it's back to supply, isn't it? Because if there was enough supply there... It should, I mean, economics demand supply, it should flatten rents. Yeah, and we are seeing more players come into this built-to-rent market. You mentioned That's the German the unusual fund. thing, yeah. Irish Life Investment Managers. Just uh, today, Cosgrave so Earth put another unit on the on the market in Dunleary, 70, 95 million, I think they're looking for it. Hmm. 100 and something apartments. So there is, you know, the supply coming onto the market. And yet we're being told the narrative is that a lot of landlords are exiting the market because it's simply the regulations are too burdensome and mm. there isn't enough money I to think be made. The, the, I think that that's a bit disingenuous to say and the people who are saying it perhaps because yes, some landlords are leaving but typically they're the ones, smaller landlords who have debt finance. It's all cash buyers that are coming in and buying these properties. So it's not necessarily that landlords are leaving. It's a different type of landlord that's coming in. Just because with um, the tax burden now, it's not as efficient an investment if you have a mortgage on an investment property. What's the solution? Um, I mean, you mentioned NAMA there earlier on. I don't know why they wouldn't fund more purpose-built affordable housing throughout the city. Look at that. It's not part of a remit though, really, is it? It's not, no, but why couldn't it be? Well, it's in wind down essentially, isn't it, due to wind up in 2020? And they have been uh, making staff redundant. Yeah, but I mean, is there scope there to have a smaller financing agency? I don't know after that fact. If you look at Cosgrove's development in Honey Park, would Dunleary Council not acquire that? Sure. OK. All right. Well, listen, we'll see how that plays out. No doubt that's a subject that we'll be coming back to uh, in the period ahead on Inside Business. Uh, thanks for that, Fiona. Uh, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Peter Hamilton, Fiona Redden and Michael McAleer. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 